Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, September 29th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all today. We'll be here for the next hour or until we run out of your questions, so it's totally up to you. Phone lines are open right now. Pick up the phone and start dialing. Anything goes. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, we can talk about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. Rolling Toe is coming up in just about two hours. So I guess we have either an hour or two hours, depending on how many questions you have. And then we'll head on into Rolling Toe later today. So line up those questions as well. Calls are already starting to come in. I do have a topic I want to talk about today. Uh You know, I got thinking about this. I started giving advice and doing tax work for other owner-operators just about 30 years ago. It was the early 90s, 91, 92, right around there somewhere. And I've been through several of these economic cycles in trucking, the ups, the downs, a couple big ones. I think this is going to be the biggest by far. But that just means that what happens during these times, there's just going to be more of that. So we could look at it as more of a negative because it's bigger, or we could look at it as more of a positive because it's going to be a worse downturn. Well, how does that make any sense? Here's the thing I can promise you. You are always better off starting a business in a downturn, starting a big project in a downturn, expanding your business in a downturn, always better off. And nobody thinks that way. It's the exact opposite. When I look at the pattern of my calls over the years and the topics and what people want to talk about, and that changes all the time. When I look at the pattern The calls I get about, I want to be an owner-operator, I want to buy a truck, I want to get my own authority, I want to start a lease purchase, those calls come when things are good. The better they are, the more of those calls I get. The worse things are, the fewer of those calls I get. And it really should be the opposite. I know it's hard to think this way, but if you can change your way of thinking around this, it makes all the difference. Here's typically what happens when things are good. Just like the last several years, we've watched this. Record-setting numbers of new owner-operators in the last couple of years. Record-setting numbers of new authority. Record-setting numbers of new brokers. That's not the best time to get started. It's almost the worst. And what typically happens, rates are good, everybody's excited, So when people get into business during a time like that, they skip almost everything. And it works. Just about anybody could have bought a truck in, say, 2017, anywhere in that time, and easily still be in business today. You wouldn't have had to do much right at all. 
All you really had to do was kind of show up. The rates were good enough that you could make money and survive. And that's typically what happens when we're in the top of that economic cycle. It becomes so easy to make money that you don't have to do much of anything right. But that's the bad part. That's the, that's the trap. And most people don't realize how many downsides there are to failing at business. You know, I've heard people say, oh, well, I'm going to give it a try. What's the worst that can happen? Well, you should think that through. What is the worst that could happen? Well, when a business starts to fail, it affects every area of your life. People get divorced over this. It can really hurt you financially, and people don't understand. If we make it so easy to get into business, which I'm I'm actually okay with that, but then people feel like they don't have much to lose. Oh, I can buy a truck for almost nothing down. It's not going to cost me much to get started. So if I fail, what's the big deal? Well, nobody starts a business and wakes up one morning and says, oh, okay, this isn't going to work. I'm done. Everybody tries to save it. Of course you do. While you're trying to save that struggling business, you're wrecking your personal finance. The other thing people don't realize is you could close your business and end up owing a lot of money. And it can't be discharged in bankruptcy because it could be taxes you're going to owe. It's a really common thing. So just because you failed, you think, well, how could I owe any taxes? I failed. You could owe a lot of tax, a lot. If you borrowed money to get the truck, which most people do, and you default on that loan, that loan becomes income and you owe tax on it. When a business fails, there is a disaster left behind. So don't take it so lightly and thinking, well, if it doesn't work, I tried. It's, it's not that easy. When things are this good, like they have been for the last several years, not right now, but the way they have been, everybody's in a hurry. Oh, well, look at those rates. I, you know, I'm just going to grab a truck. They don't take the time to research the truck, buy the right truck. The truck will be overpriced. Trucks have been overpriced for a couple of years now. Once you buy it, you're locked in. You're going to be upside down. We get in a hurry to get into business. We don't do any of the things we should be doing. And then people say, yeah, but so what? It worked for now. But somebody who starts a business like that has very little chance of making it through a major downturn. On the other hand, if you start your business in a major downturn, there's no place to go but up. The other big advantage, and I will tell you right now, I'm going to make what most people might think would be a crazy statement. Of the 30 years I've been giving advice to get into business, now might be the best time that I've seen in the whole 30 years. I'm confident that our economy will come out of this. And when it does, there's going to be huge opportunities. I really believe that. Trucking can't go away. 
when the economy comes back, trucking will come back. But even when the economy is down, somebody has to move the freight and somebody has to make money doing it. The rates can't get so bad that it's impossible to make money. That won't ever happen. It will get really difficult to make money. But if you start now, you can see exactly what it takes to make enough money and survive. I have a whole course on this, and now is the time to take it. Yeah, this is a little bit of a sales pitch. Now is the time to take it. Now, I'm not saying you should even be thinking about buying a truck yet. And I know people are saying, well, wait a minute. You just said it's the best time. No, I said it's the best time to start planning your business. Just to give you an idea where the truck buying step comes in, I sometimes teach my course personally. I teach it where right now you could go take it and it's online and you do it all yourself. I occasionally teach this course. So we use all the same material, but I do a webinar every week and teach it. One of the things we see happen is during times, like I was saying, good times, everything gets rushed or everything gets skipped completely. And people think it's okay because they're making enough money and they're paying the bills till we get a big downturn. Now is the time to start planning. Buying the truck is week 11 when I teach the course. We go through 10 full weeks of doing other stuff before we even think about looking for a truck. And those 10 weeks are busy. There's a lot that you should be doing during that time. 11 weeks in, then we start looking for the truck. It's an important part, but you have to do it in the right time. That's another thing most people miss. They, they don't know what steps they should be doing, and the steps they do know, they don't know what order to put them in. The course clears this all up. In the course, the way I do it is I, I have you put some numbers together, and I show you exactly how to do it. I make it really, really simple. You should know your net worth, and you should know your cost of living. What does it cost you just to live and pay your bills? I have you calculate those two numbers before you ever even think about buying a truck. From those two numbers, I can determine a lot of things. And in the course, I help you do that. By the way, if you want to see the course, you can go to learn.letstruck.com. That's the easiest way to get there to see the course or to sign up for the course. Learn.letstruck.com. The course is called Stop Holding the Steering Wheel and Start Driving Your Business. It's every step you need to take in order to start as an owner-operator successfully. And now is the time. I'm telling you, right now is the best time I've seen in 30 years. Buying the truck is probably going to happen sometime about six months to a year from now. That's why now is the time to start. I have a whole list of things that if you do these things before you start, I can guarantee you will succeed. I mean that. I can guarantee somebody will succeed. You do all the steps I outline, promise you'll succeed. But start now. 
now's the time. So check that out if you have any questions about it. I may, I haven't done one of those live classes in several years. I may, um, I may do that. I may run another live course. I may reduce um, some of the material. doesn't need much, but there's some things I could probably go in and update, and then um, I may run a live course. I may do something along the lines with this um, at Louisville as well. So I'm looking at, uh, I'm talking with show management at Louisville, and I may do a lot of seminars at the truck show this year. We'll see. Uh, if I did, this may be one of them. And I may even come up with a program where we do a live course of this leading up to the truck show. And then if you're in that live course, we'll have a final live seminar at the truck show. Those are just some of the ideas I'm working on around this idea, but go check it out. Learn.letstruck.com. Start that course now take your time, do everything in it, promise you'll succeed. We're going to get to the calls because they are piling up. Let's go to Missouri to get started. Dale, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, I had a question about digestion before we jump into that. Back to your uh, ideas about being an owner-operator. Things I've heard you say in the past. I recently earned my two million consecutive safe driving mile award. Wow. I think I'd be a great owner operator, even though I've never took a business class. What do you think? (laughs) Well, congratulations. And I hate to (laughs) rain on your parade, but I don't care how good of a driver. Yeah, no, I know you're being tongue in cheek. I don't care how good of a driver you are. Look, I can say this and it pisses people off in trucking. I know it does, but it is the absolute truth. I've done it hundreds of times. You know, I take the guy 2 million safe miles, can tear a transmission apart on the side of the road. He could have all those skills. They fail at business. I take a guy who comes out of banking or real estate or he was a mortgage broker, um, doesn't know a fifth wheel from a third wheel or a steering wheel, Uh, and I can make them successful. They're almost always more successful. One of the reasons is they know they're at a huge disadvantage. They don't understand the industry, but they understand business, and that's enough. And they know that, look, I know business, but I better learn trucking quickly. And they'll listen. And the 20-year veteran is like, oh, don't tell me how to how." Fast to drive. Yeah, I've been doing this for 2 million miles. Okay. That's like the, uh, in in, uh, the military that says, you you give me a man that's hunted all his life and I can give you a pretty good marksman. You show me somebody that's never held a gun in their life and I can produce an expert sniper. Yeah. Because the other guy already knows too much shit. You know what I'm saying? They just, he's already got that in his mind. Yeah, you know, a lot of times if we learn a skill the wrong way in the beginning, it's much harder to break those habits. And many times we never break those habits. Right. Right. But, like, I do have some business experience. It's very minor, but um, through listening to you before on Sirius XM, I know you're a lot more educated than I am because you got the education, but I think we think alike, like... uh, I've got rental properties and the rental properties. I I started looking at people chasing the highest rent possible, highest rent possible. 
I'm sitting there thinking every time people move out of this house, it's going to cost me about $1,800 to really smurf it up nice, cleaning, miles back and forth, supplies, paint, all that stuff. Right. Well, if you do that every year, that's $150 a month. You just cost it in maintenance. Well, if you let them stay there two years and you don't jack the rent up, now your your maintenance costs are go down to 75 Well, at the three-year mark, you're going to end up bumping that 18 up to about 2000 So now you're at $56 a month, and at, at four-year mark, you're at $41.5 a month. But that's getting about time where you really might need to readjust your rent, maybe move the tenant out because the house needs some attention, you know, so then that's fine. That's just kind of the, the trail that, I went with, and it seemed to work well. That is excellent business thinking, and it's rare. And the problem, you said it in the first sentence, the problem with all business owners were so hyper-focused on revenue, we think revenue's everything, that we make decisions based on just bringing in the most revenue. Your scenario describes a way to say, wait a minute, I could not raise my rates and end up with more real revenue, the stuff that ends up in my pocket. Right. (laughs) Right. Yes, good thinking. But um, but the um, acid indigestion, I'm having a problem with that. Like last night, uh, I talked to you yesterday, by the way. My wife and I made out of the garden a zucchini lasagna. Oh, yeah. Zoodles, you know. Yep. And, uh, yeah, did all that. Um, mushrooms in the sauce, all that, reduced all that. Anyhow, then I go to bed last night, and... Uh, I wake up, acid reflux actually threw up a little bit. So uh, I did something you're not supposed to do. I went and took a Pepsid AC. Okay. I had some, I hadn't had to use them for years, but still had one. I went and took one of them and drank some water and I got a adjustable sleep number bed. Okay. And I just raised my head up a bit and then I went back to bed and got over it. But, but but it disposes, I haven't had a lot of red sauce in a while. I suppose it was uh, acidity in there. I think well, just, evidently my my stomach acid's not where it should be. Yeah, that that's really the case here. You know, spicy foods, tomato sauce, those kind of things that we think, you know, can trigger this. Here's the thing we have to remember. If you were to take your spaghetti sauce or whatever food we think is causing us to have this discomfort from too much acid. I mean, that's always the thought, right? Well, I, I have too much acid. Well, I, I want you to, you know, take something, a piece of, you know, aluminum foil or whatever, and drop it in that spaghetti sauce and see if anything happens. It's not going to. Drop that into your stomach acid, it will dissolve in seconds. That, that's how strong our stomach acid should be. So, when foods trigger it, it's, it, we can't really say it's because of the acid content in them. My God, there's so much acid in our stomach. It's so powerful. It can dissolve metal. So what we're saying is there, there's something else going on here. And yeah, your stomach acid could be getting weaker. Could be something as simple as a nutrient deficiency. A, a single nutrient could be the cause of low stomach acid. And when we start to suffer heartburn now... Did you eat too close to bed, maybe? That we did. Uh, normally, I eat uh, I eat everything I'm going to eat between 10 o'clock in the morning and about 1.30 in the afternoon. And then I 
donate until the next day. Okay. But we did have uh, the mother-in-law and the daughter and the granddaughter, the four generation sit-down meal, and we did eat. We did eat a later meal. Yeah. So, uh, because that happened and that could cause this. If this isn't a pattern yet, if it's just a, you know, kind of a one-time thing, I might just wait. I might just wait and see if it really becomes a pattern. And if it doesn't, I wouldn't worry too much about it. If it does, then we would start down the the path of trying to figure out why your stomach acid is weak and rebuilding it. And um, can I get the the tribe numbers in case down the road I need to get some supplements, I get that? Yes, you can. It is 855-800-3835. That's ironically close to this number. Uh, it's the same last four in the ending, and those, those four spell fuel. Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. That'll work. You know what? Well, Matt, those, the, I, those two are so close. I better make sure I just gave you the right phone number. I'm bad at that kind of stuff sometimes. Um, I mean, now that you said that, we we try to keep that same four eight five five eight hundred three eight three five. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and three eight three five spells fuel. Okay. I gotta tell you, man. Uh, it really sucked when you left uh, the, the radio, but I really like this this platform better because you don't have all the uh, you don't have all the commercials and all that kind of crap. And you know, you said uh, I know you had to just because time constraints. You'd, you'd limit people. You decide this is my exit point. Poke the button. They're they're gone. You finish. Uh, go on. But this, uh, yeah, you don't seem as stressed out either. Maybe it's because you don't have all the time constraints and the buttons to poke and the commercials to hit. So you are are absolutely right. And it's it's more than just saying, well, commercials suck and nobody likes commercials. It's bigger than that. You know, it's you know, it's not like it's this is some sort of a comedy show or entertainment or, you know, I'm trying to help people with specific information and messing up the flow was the biggest problem for me of the commercials. You're right in the middle of an answer. You've got a thought process going on in your mind. And I look at the clock and oh, I got to go to a break again. And then the whole thing about, I know it's radio, but I have to say, you know, the channel and we'll be right back. And, and then you come back and you got to say all those things when you come back. What a total waste of time. And it happens over and over and over. And it just, you know, and then, then with, you know, Sirius kept changing the way they did things. So for a while I was on hard breaks. Then I had floating breaks, which it made it a little better because I could manage at least two of those breaks. But then we went back to hard breaks again. Yeah, so I really, really enjoy this format so much more. And I think it, the information comes across better because we don't have all those interruptions. The only thing good about all that was is when uh, we didn't have to listen to all their damn commercials about, you know, you know, we could listen to whatever music you had Andre playing that day. Yeah, yeah. And that was awesome. Yeah. I tell you, yeah. I miss so much stuff on satellite radio because as soon as I'm, 
them commercials comes on, that guy starts pissing at you like, if you own a business with salespeople, how in the world? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. And then I miss, I miss like three minutes of news because it comes back on. But I literally, I don't listen to any of them commercials because they're, the way they format, most of them are extremely irritating. They, the one that absolutely makes me insane, Cars for Kids. Oh, Oh, that one just, oh, yeah. oh my God, that one makes me, I reach for that well, button so fast that. when that commercial comes on. Yeah. 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 All I get is funny. Oh, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and but, uh, now with the app, you can listen to any show you want, anytime you want. You know, the app is going to continue to get better. You'll be able to find very specific calls or questions or topics. Yeah, we're excited about it. We really am. You know, being on Sirius was a big deal. There's no doubt about it. You know, I, it, I worked to yeah, get that, was, that show. Huge. Yeah, I worked, you know, a lot of years to get that show. Um and, you know, I worked that show for a lot of years, did midnights all those years, screwed up my sleep over this, still dealing with that. But it was it was worth every penny. I loved being on Sirius. I think it was time, though. And I don't know. I, I Every year I would kind of kick it around and consider it. Should we, you know, start our own network? That's a tough gig to give up, though. Uh, and I don't know that I would have made that well, decision yeah, I mean, on my yeah. own. Well, Oh, yeah, because as, as it is in your profession, if you're on Sirius and you got a good premium daytime slot, you have arrived. You're, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, but then there's another thinking that the way it went, it went that way. But you also did say that you started your own social media stuff because you don't like the idea of somebody else controlling your business. They can pull the plug on your business at any time. Yes. Yeah. You know, the. So the now, now you. The other example of that, um, when I made the decision to sell my contract at FedEx, that was a tough decision. That was a big deal. That was a contract I had 20 some years, made a lot of money with it. Um, My my decision was based on uh, this is too much to try to run at the same time, to try to run the trucks and grow this other business, the radio and all that. So which one do I want to do? You know, had I stayed at FedEx, I've been talking about that, that contractor over there with the business model. I mean, I was doing many of the same things, just not on that scale yet, but that's what I would have grown. The difference is when I looked at growing a business like that, that scares the hell out of me. You have one customer, basically. It's FedEx. And if that if you lose that customer like he did, you lose a lot of money and you have no control over that. That to me just wasn't the, you know, when I was there and, and running the business and making money, loved it. But when I had the opportunity, do I want to go grow a business that I have more control over or do I want to grow a business that has one customer and I have a, almost no control over? Um, that was why I decided to, to sell that, use the money to invest into this one. I, well, as, as it went, it turned out for you, Will. I'm happy. I, I, I do feel much less stressed. I enjoy the show more. I was starting to get a little burnout. Um, so I'm kind of yeah. reinvigorated and excited again. 
Yeah, you can tell. I was telling a buddy of mine, I said, hey, I found your show. You can just download the app, screenshot it, send a picture of him, send him the phone number and all that. Because uh, like I alluded to yesterday, I, uh, me and anybody I actually talk to on a regular basis can't, can't even listen to that channel anymore. Cause <laughs> it's like if you, if you totally believe that the World Wrestling Federation is completely true and accurate and, and you believe that, you would probably be a customer of that channel. That's who's there. It, it, you know, it, it, um, and, it, it's a shame that... needs a format to listen to. Correct. Right. And, and that was kind of what I was going to say. That was such a great opportunity. I mean, think about that. How many industries have their own channel on national radio? None, except maybe you trucking. Several times. Yeah. I, that's yeah, a pretty, that it's a pretty incredible thing, but I think we wasted it. Do you know how good that channel could be? Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, when you're going to call up somebody and this is the, your, um, go and your cubby on you, you're getting caught in the thick of thin things. You're going to spend your entire three hours on the phone waiting for your turn to talk about my favorite truck I ever drove is this tremendous old blue Peterbilt. I just really like it. I mean, gee whiz. And I get it. Everybody's in, at different spots, you know, but holy cow. You know, the, the, the shows that, uh, yeah, you know, that's really what we're doing now. When I say, boy, that could have been, you know, a fantastic channel. Well, that's what we're doing. We're building a trucking channel, and we'll continue to add content. And you know, it's it's kind of I I, I work much better when I can make the decisions. You know, I, I tried to get involved in those kind of things at Sirius. You know, I tried to let, let's do this. What if we did this? What if we tried this on the channel? Not just my show, the whole channel. What if we did this? And I, I got nowhere, nowhere whatsoever. So. You know, I just sit back and do my own show. Well, now I get to be creative like that. You know, what kind of a show could we do? How can we make this better? Um, I, I doubt that we'll ever get to the point on this network where we do any kind of entertainment. There, there's plenty of that. You can find that everywhere. I, I think we'll stick yeah. to, to pretty much, um, you know, business, money, health. The, the things we do now just expand more on those ideas. Yeah, but I am sure I'm glad I found you. Have you ever thought about uh, maybe even advertising on maybe Road Dog or Fox News I, or I, CNN I don't, or anything like that? Just put a plug in to say, hey, by the way, I'm over here. We've thought about a lot of things. We haven't made many. We're really, really taking our time on this. We're not in any hurry. Um, financially... The um, losing the contract had almost no impact on us. Um, we we were paid from Sirius on that contract, but we were able to make that up pretty quickly. We're we're just about even, you know. Considering the economy has slowed down, um, it didn't have much of an impact on us financially. Uh, it had an impact on us for growth. You know, being on Sirius, it was easy to grow. Yeah. You have new people hearing your show all the time. But honestly, we're at a place where we're, we're not sure we want to grow all that much anymore. I, I kind of like where we are business-wise. I, I wouldn't mind just a very, very slow, steady growth would be fine. So we really haven't advertised much of anything about where we are. We've done some social media. We'll probably do a lot more of that. 
I don't know that I want to. Here's the thing. It is outrageously expensive to advertise on Sirius. Really is. Um, that's not to say I couldn't make it worth it. I could, but it would mean growing the business a lot. If I were going to be able to afford an advertising campaign on Sirius, I could do it, but I would have to have big goals. Like we, we need to add, you know, 250 new yeah, listeners people. a month to, in order to cover this cost. Yeah, you and look at your, yeah, you're, you're thinking of your ROI. Yeah, and and not even yeah, that. I, that's yeah, that's the decision. that's the first consideration. Can I get an ROI from investing this money? And I could. I'm confident I could. Do I want to? That's the bigger question. It I could get a return, but it's going to mean working a whole lot harder. It's going to mean hiring more people and growing the company again. And I just really don't want to. Pretty happy where we are. Well, and especially like you say, you're you're still improving your platform and all that. You might want to get your ducks in a row exactly before you start throwing right. them out on the lake. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, right now, it would be it would be labor intensive to add more people. It would be riskier to add more people. We have more. We still have some technical issues. So yeah, we're we're happy building out our platform. Um, and honestly, this platform could become another business model. If we finish our our infrastructure the way we've outlined it, and, and we're pretty aggressive, we've got some things in there we're not even sure we can do yet. If we can, we we would have the best podcasting platform on the internet. Yeah. One thing on the technical side, if you don't mind some constructive criticism, sure. Go ahead. I did notice from listening to you. This is the third time now. Um, the telephone conversation sometimes between you and I right now and then the, the lady that answers the phone, it's real, it gets, tends to get crackly here and there, and then sometimes, like, you'll be saying something and I'll, you'll miss, like, an entire word. Yeah, so... And, and there's have, no rhyme or reason to it. It's just kind of spotty. Have you watched any video on the Internet, TV shows, things like that? Okay. So if you watch, you know, streaming TV, what you'll notice is the quality of the picture changes. Like it goes from pixelated and blurry to razor sharp, and it'll go back and forth like that. We might have 4K TV, and we might have 4K video filming, and that show might be in 4K but you can only get that 4K quality if there's enough bandwidth to send all that data. And what happens on the internet is the data transfer is inconsistent. I might be transferring right now at 100 megabits a second because that's what my internet is capable of. And if I am, you're going to get clear audio. You're not going to get those dropouts. But if I drop down to 5 megabits a second which happens then at first the software will will kind of downgrade the signal so it doesn't send as much data so you go oh that, that sounds a little funny sounds a little scratchy or and then if the bandwidth falls out completely you just lose the signal for five seconds or 30 seconds here's the crazy thing i've dealt with this internet issue around radio since like 2010 the first time we went mobile 
the what sucks about this? Twelve years later, it's gotten worse instead of better. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, we have we have less bandwidth well, these days, or less consistent bandwidth, stable bandwidth. We fight internet issues constantly. It, it's one of the things I spend my time on. Is there's equipment that can make it better, software, anything we can do to make that signal more stable. If, it's if, not like you can bandwidth like a battery. You can put a backup battery so when the electricity fails, you you can keep it the same. It, it don't you, work that way. Actually, it it can. Um, and that was one of the things we were doing when we were on the road. We had multiple internet connections, and we had software that would would make them work together seamlessly. So if one dropped, you'd pick up on the other with either no loss or very little loss. Um, the equipment to do that is pretty okay, expensive. And I don't even mind buying the equipment to do it. But we still run into more problems now than we did back then. Um, the other thing I deal with is, and, and I'm okay with this, but um, it's one thing to be able to do this from home where I'm standing right now. It's another to do it right. when I travel and go on the road. That's a whole new world, but I love to travel and I'm not going to stop. And that's a part of our show. I mean, I just got to spend, you know, a month at Pittsburgh Power. I mean, that, that was huge. The, the, what I'm able to learn, the connections right. I'm able to make. So um, I'm getting ready at the end of this month. I'm, I've got a trip. I got to go out and do a speaking engagement. So we, all, we, we really have two total broadcast systems we have to build. One here when I'm at home and one that works well on the road. I get that. And of course, the one at home is probably going to be quite a bit more substantial because you're not confined with space. And exactly. Weight, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. When when we go on the road, there's yeah. all kinds of issues we have to deal with, but uh, we'll 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 keep working on it. Okay. Well, I just pulled into my meet point, and um, so I'll let you get on to your next caller. But man, sure am. Like I said, glad I found your show again. Me too. Glad to have you here. Let's head off to Kentucky. Brenda, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you today? Doing good. What can I help you with? Um, I have a question on finance. Okay. I got in the market in 2006. I was 51. Uh, started listening to Dave Ramsey and he kind of straightened my thinking out, but now I'm still in it. I'm 66 and I've heard what you said about anybody that's over 61 or 50, I think you said doesn't need to be in there, but what do I do? So do I pull it all out and put it? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about why this is first. So if we go back and look, I said, I've been giving advice since the early nineties. I've been through a bunch of upturns, downturns. So I've helped people with business all that time. Um, 2000 was when I became a certified financial planner. So 20 some years have been helping people with these kinds of issues, just purely financial, not business, but things like retirement. Um, I've, I've watched these ups and downs. So here's a typical pattern. And this is why 
people would say, well, why, why do I have to get out of the market? I've been in it all these years. It's working. Well, if we look at the downturn of 2008, the S&P 500, right. which is one of the funds I recommend investing into, the S&P 500, lost almost 60% of its value. Now, let's think about that. Mm -hmm. If somebody had been really diligent all their life making the right investments and they had a million dollars sitting in their retirement account invested in the S&P 500, like I recommend, at the bottom, their million dollars was now only $400,000. What would that do to your retirement? Right. Yeah. If you were planning on living on a million dollars in the bank, and now you have to live on $400,000 in the bank, that is huge. And how long did it take right. for that to come back? Several years. You don't have several mm -hmm. years. When I'm 30, I don't right. care if it takes 10 years to come back. Honestly, if I'm 30 and the market tanks, you I don't care. The time. It, not only do I have the time. But if the market tanks for 10 years, that just means I'm buying stocks on sale the whole time. That's a positive, exactly. right? When we're building wealth, yep. we want those funds to be cheap. It's when we retire, we want the value to go up on them and then we have more money. So when we get this close to uh -huh. retirement, we don't have time to recover. So we, we just can't right. put our money at that kind of risk. Here's the downside. When, when people say, okay, well, if I'm not in the market, what am I going to be in? Probably nothing that's going to make you any money. At this point, we, we really are right. not after growth anymore. We are after preservation. We just want to make sure you don't right. lose what you've already accumulated. We're, we're, we're not going to get too worried about can we grow this more? Because in a time like this, mm -hmm. we can't. There's no place I can tell you to put your money right now that's going to make much sense. Nothing's working right now. Right. So all we're trying to do is just save what you have. So you can leave it in. Uh -huh. If you don't need the money and you don't want to pay taxes, you could if it's in a retirement account, you could leave it in the retirement account, but you move it out of stocks or bonds or mutual funds or whatever it's invested in, and you put it into what's called a money market account. And, and a money market account is right. basically just okay. a savings account. It in today's world, yeah, it, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, it might pay you one or two percent interest. Now, the good news is, as interest rates go up, your money market will pay more. We might get up to two or three percent, you know, interest out of a, a money market, which is it helps. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, if we will go back to that million dollar number, if we manage to save a million dollars and we're in a money market because the market's bad, I mean, we still make $30,000 a year. Mm -hmm. That's not horrible. So yeah, and in 2008, when it tanked, I left it alone because I knew good. I was good. buying it on sale. Perfect. And right. it came back, and I was really happy with the way it came back. Right. But, but you, now that you, you I'm don't have time closer right. to... Right. Yeah, you don't have time. So you so, did you did it right then, and you're asking the right questions now. So congratulations. I would start moving it into a money market. It, it, you know, I, I wouldn't even okay. start. I would just move it all. 
We're, well, we're the Roth IRA. Uh, oh, you could you you could take all of your contributions out of that if you want. You just can't take your earn. Oh, wait a minute, you can. You can take any of it out. You yeah, don't have I'll yeah. You don't have seven. any yeah. You don't have any penalties, and you wouldn't have any tax because it's a Roth. So if you wanted to get this out of that right. that account, you can. Doesn't really matter much. We just want to get it out of the market and just stick it in a a money market account. Now, one of the things you can be watching for is you'll be sitting on cash and the CD rates might really go up. If you know, we're we're making a lot of uh-huh. comparisons to the early 80s. That was the last time we had seen numbers like this. And in the early 80s, CD rates got to the point where they were paying 10%. If we get to that point yeah, again, you, you, you take your million dollars and you put it in a one-year CD and you're going to earn $100,000. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I would watch for. Park it in cash right now in a money market account and wait for the CD rates to come back. Well, the guy that I have the, the money invested with, a broker is that the right term it could be a broker it could be a financial planner um there's lots of terms i think he's a financial planner okay so um i wanted to take out enough to pay off my house at my age then at least i would have that done and paid for and he suggested not doing that because he said you go to the grocery store to buy groceries, you're not going to say, well, I have my house paid for. And I don't know why he was thinking like that. Yeah, see, I would never I, get to the point where I didn't have any income. I, I think you need a new financial planner. I think that was horrible okay. advice. What's your mortgage rate? Three. Okay. So here's what we get when you pay off your mortgage. We get a guaranteed 3% return. I can't give you that anywhere else right, right now. You're not going to get it in the market. We know that. You're going to lose money in the market for a while. CDs aren't paying anywhere near that yet. So I'm thinking right. You are thinking right. Yeah. And here's the, you know, it sounds to me like he's way too conservative. He's worried that, oh, my God, you're going to pay off your mortgage and then you might not have enough money to buy groceries. Well, wait a minute. He's your financial planner. He can see how much money you have. It's like you said. Uh It's And here's the other thing. If let's say worst case scenario happens, you pay off your mortgage now and immediately start saving money. That's the thing to remember. The minute you pay off that mortgage, your financial Uh picture gets better because you're no longer paying any interest. You get to keep all that money now. Let's say things could turn horrible and you're getting short on cash. Well, so what? You have the equity in the house. You could remortgage it. At your age, you could do something different. Have you ever heard of a reverse mortgage? Yes. You could, and I'm not saying you should, because I don't know your financial picture well enough, but I kind of like reverse mortgages. There's one big downside to them. You could ultimately lose equity in your home. But that only happens Mm -hmm. when you die. I don't care about my money when I die. I told my kids a long time ago, don't expect anything from me. I don't like the idea of giving people money that they didn't earn. I think it's bad for people. 
Yeah. So I told my kids flow through it. They don't exactly. I told my kids early on when I started talking to them about money, don't expect anything as an inheritance. There's not going to be anything left. Right. My financial plan Mm -hmm. will make sure that I spend every penny I have before I die. And, And people think, well, that's risky. No, there's really an easy way to do it. And a reverse mortgage is one of those ways. So, I told my kids, okay. I'll teach so I you. Dave Ramsey talk about that. Yeah, I'll teach you how to make money. I'll teach you how to invest money so you never need mine because you're not getting mine. So right. in a reverse mortgage, yeah. what happens is they pay you for your house now. You get cash now. Mm-hmm. You get to live in your house until you die. And you don't have to pay anything. You basically have a free place to live until you die. Somebody is taking the risk here. Now, let's say that you live three more years and then you die. People would go, oh, my God, look at all that equity you lost. I don't care. I'm dead. But I, I, I took away all the risk. What happens if my health plan is really successful and I live to be 110? Well, I would have run out of money. I would have been struggling to find a place to live, but not now because with a reverse mortgage, if I'm 110, the person that gave me the reverse mortgage got screwed. Right. Exactly. There are, there are also, let's say that you have a million dollars sitting there cash-wise. So we reverse mortgage the house. We know we can live there forever and we got cash. That helps us pay our bills now. We can annuitize our cash. So we could take our money that you've invested all these years and it grew and we go buy an annuity. This is the only time I like annuities. I'm not a big fan of annuities and I'm not going to take a long time to talk about what they are. Um, But this is the one time that I like an annuity as final financial planning. Again, we're going to, it's almost the same as doing a reverse mortgage. I take my million dollars and I give it to an insurance company that who does, that's who does annuities and they run the numbers and they say, okay, we're going to take your million dollars and we will give you $5,000 a month forever. And if you die next mm-hmm. month, they, they won the lottery because they get to keep all your money. If I live to be 110, right. they got screwed because they have to keep paying me month after month after month after month until I die. I see that, yeah. So when I do that, when I die, my, my estate is basically worth zero. But that's okay. I had a place to live and I had income coming in every month. Exactly. Okay. So get a hold of him today and tell him I want to pay off the house and put the rest in a money market for now. I would. And then just watch the CD rate and yep. uh, possibly do the reverse mortgage for an annuity. Yep. Okay. That's all I got. All right. That's all I need. Thanks for the call. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's go to Ontario. Kevin, welcome to the program. Good day. I just have a quick question here about the uh, profit gauge. I've been using it for, uh, this will be my third year. I was just wondering, 
how long, like, do, do the years get deleted or they'll just stay on there? They'll stay on there. As long as you have your account, you'll have that data forever. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if I had to. I, I download it now, but I wasn't sure if I was able to go back six years from now and look back on, yeah. on the years. Yep, you can. Okay, and one one quick question here on the maintenance. What is the average that uh, your maintenance costs like before you start realizing it's not worth it anymore? Like, you know, that's never a, an easy answer. It's much easier when you have numbers, like you have three years worth of data. So it'd be easier for me to look at your numbers and say, and this is one of the decisions that having this data really makes a big difference. People call me and say, should I keep my truck? Should I upgrade it? Should I sell it? Well, let's look at your numbers. Well, I don't have any. Then I have no idea. Flip a coin, throw a dart at a dartboard. I don't know. Uh, but if you have the numbers, we can go in and look at this, and it's not that hard to decide. In today's world, um, if you're anywhere between 10 and 20 cents a mile for maintenance, then I wouldn't be thinking about replacing that truck. 10 and 20 cents, pretty normal today. Um, and it's going to fluctuate. If you have to go buy you know, all new tires and you're tracking it by the month, it's going to shoot up for a little while, and then it's going to even itself out over time. Um, but if, if we're in now, somebody would say, well, I'm less than 10. And if you're less than 10, I'd be a little worried. You, you might not be doing enough preventative maintenance. That, so that range of 10 to 20, I don't really want it too low. Um, I want to be in that kind of sweet spot. Now, occasionally, if you're really good at managing your maintenance cost and it's running, you know, 11 or 12 cents, once in a while, you might drop down under 10. I'm not going to get too worried about if it's short term. Um, once in a while, we might jump up over 20 because we made a big purchase. But for the most part, if I'm hanging out in that area, then I don't really, I don't need to think about replacing my truck because of maintenance cost. Now, if, if my maintenance cost is high and my fuel mileage sucks, yeah, I'm probably going to get rid of that truck. Does that help? Yeah, I'm, I'm currently sitting at uh, 60. There you go. Right smack in the middle of the range I just said. My, my fuel mileage is uh, about a buck ten on like that's for the whole year. Wait a minute. On the average. Your your fuel cost is a dollar ten? A mile? Yeah. No way. What are you getting? Like uh, four so miles to the gallon? No, I use your uh, gauges. It's uh, seven, seven point one three. I don't know how your cost could be so and high. Spent on spent on fuel on this year is uh, seventy. I think it's seventy nine thousand so far. Well, wait a minute. Then, have you spent seventy nine thousand on how many miles? About seventy nine thousand, obviously. If you're at you're, if you're at a buck a mile, um, that's outrageous. That doesn't make sense if you're getting seven plus miles to the gallon. You Canadian? Yeah, and I only fuel up in Canada because I get the HST back. Okay, so that time I'll fill up in. So, just out of curiosity, because I usually don't keep track of this or think about it in my head. What is the conversion for your average 
what are you paying per gallon for fuel on average? If you were to uh, make the conversion to American for me. Uh, in Canada right now, it's uh, is it two, $2 to one ninety nine a liter. Okay. Liter. Is that six something a gallon? Yeah. And we might, so if you're getting seven miles to the gallon, we're paying $6 a gallon. Um, yeah, it's getting close to a dollar a mile, though. Although that number still seems a little high. I, I, I might go back and look at that. Um, and the, the, nothing wrong with seven miles to the gallon. I mean, we, we always want to get better, but that's a reasonable number. It's just that fuel is so high in Canada. Holy cow. I mean, we have people that are paying half that per mile. Yeah, because something like gas has just gone down in Canada. Before it was like two twenty a liter. Yeah, two nineteen. It's just crazy. Yeah, that is that is crazy. But um, this is not a truck I would be thinking about replacing unless you had some other big reason. I wouldn't replace it because of the fuel or maintenance cost. Those are both. You're in good shape on both those. Your cost is high on fuel, but that's not because of the truck. That's just because of the cost of fuel itself. Okay. And uh, for, for preventative maintenance, because uh, obviously this is my first truck and I've only been an owner-operator this is my third year, um, I basically wait for things to break, and then I've got 638,000 miles on the truck. It's a 2017 Volvo with a ISX in it. Okay. I heard you guys talk about so you should be doing replacing before they kind of break. Well, now if I it, went into the it, let me explain that a little further. We we were we would love to be able to do this really well. We would love to be able to replace things right before they're probably going to break because there's a savings, there's, you know, our service might be better, we're not going to break down on the road and be late on a load. There's a lot of reasons we'd like to do that, but it's not that easy. Uh, and, and we're not going to be all that successful at it. We don't have enough good data. Um, ATBS, the accounting company, I, I sold my accounting company to them, and then I worked with them for a year out in Denver. Um, and I know them all really well. They put together a program. You would pay them, I don't know, it's like 35 or 40 bucks a month. It wasn't that expensive. And they used, um, they were tied into a lot of the uh, OEM's warranty platform like they actually managed some of Freightliner's um, warranty programs for them so they had access to this data and they took the data and they started to put together when a part might fail and they would manage that program for you and it was a great idea Uh, it just never really caught on and I'm not sure why Um, so we we talk about it but we're not able to do it as well as we would like to more of what I'm talking... Now, there are some things. Like, we replace a crankshaft damper at 500,000 miles. Nobody else does that. You could talk to a 1,000 mechanics in this industry, and they'll all tell you, why would you do that? That's stupid. No, it's really not. 
It's a really good idea. You should be doing it. So that's a preventative maintenance item. We, you know, change our fluids in the driveline at 500,000 miles. A lot of people just skip that. They're not doing it. Um, I think of things like the, um, um, the tire balancing, whether we use dynamic balancers or the beads. I look at that as preventative maintenance. That we, we're going to spend money on maintenance, even though nothing's broke, because we know that will make our tires last longer and it lowers our maintenance cost. If I have an emission engine and it's not perfectly tuned and perfectly specced, I'm going to use the catalyst because the catalyst lowers my maintenance cost. That's a preventative maintenance item. I'm going to make sure I keep my truck in alignment. So I might get the alignment checked. That's a preventative maintenance item. So that's really oil samples. An oil analysis program is preventative maintenance. Most people won't spend the money on one. Does that all make sense? Yeah, that's perfect sense. And uh, appreciate the call. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Idaho. RJ, welcome to the program. RJ, oh, did we lose that? Oh, wait a minute. I have to push the right button. Let me try that again. Oh, there we yeah. go. There we go. Oh, yeah. I heard the beep that time. Yeah, now you're there. What's, hey, um, a, what's on your mind text, today? I had a tax question on um, salary that you pay yourself. I know you talked about it, saying that you need to pay yourself a reasonable salary. Right for the industry that you're in and stuff. And my tax uh, lady called me about a month ago saying, hey, you probably need to increase your um, your salary because evidently my disbursements are, I pay myself 45000 a year and my disbursement, she said, is uh, twice that. So what? And she so said, so what? Know, the, the so IRS, she's wrong. <laughs> I know what she's going to say, and she, she's I wrong. Said, I, and I told her I, I, I incorporated so that I don't have to pay so much Social Security. Well, here's the thing. Here, here, she, here, as soon as an accountant or a tax preparer says, but your distribution is too big, the, that has nothing to do with anything. The IRS, there's nothing in the IRS code that says anything about the distribution when it comes to salary. What the IRS says is you have to take a reasonable salary for the amount of work you did. Let me give you an example. Right before I, you know, I opened the show today talking about when I sold my contract at FedEx. The, The last couple of years I had that contract, I was averaging net revenue right around $100,000 a year. Do you know how much work I put into that company? Less than an hour a week. Two hours a week? Yeah. Le- it was actually less than an hour a week. That's that, that, and that was real. That was every... I did almost nothing. That business almost ran itself. So I paid myself $10,000 a year and took 90000 as distributions. I only have to pay myself for the work I did. Distributions have nothing to do with this. But there's this attitude 
that, oh, no, it ne- you should split it equally. Well, why? That's not what the IRS says. The IRS says pay yourself for the work you did. Right. Yeah, that's what her opinion was. Is she likes to have the distribution and the salary equal. Right. That makes no sense. That uh, The IRS never says that anywhere. I don't know why we think we need to do that. Yeah. All right. I wanted to get in, you know, make sure everything was all right in the way I was thinking and stuff. I had one other question, mechanical. I'm thinking about re-gearing the truck. And um, but, I, but, but, I guess I got two different ways. Of well, hold on. It. Before we talk about re-gearing the truck, yeah. tell me about your current fuel economy. What is it right now? About uh, 10.1. Whoa. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. Um, yeah. Then obviously you've done a lot of other things to get your fuel economy up to 10.1. It might be time to think about regearing. Yeah. My, I was going to say, if you're at, you know, 6.2, I was going to say, well, what else have you done? Gearing is one of the absolute last things I would do. Unless my gearing is so bad, I yeah. have to. Um, clearly that's not the case. If you're getting 10, your gearing can't be that far off. Well, I drive a little slower. Uh, you know, I'd be but in the, but, that, uh, uh, double nickel club. And that's fine. But at that speed, you're getting 10. 11 is really, really, really difficult to get. That's a huge stretch to get to 11. 10 and a half would be tough. So what I'm saying is you can't be that far off on your gearing or you wouldn't be getting 10 miles to the gallon. And we have to remember, if you make a change at 10 miles to the gallon, it takes twice as long to pay for it as when you make that same change and you get five miles to the gallon. If I can say, if I change my rear end ratio, I'm getting five miles to the gallon. Mm-hmm. If I change my rear end ratio, it will take me one year to pay back that cost. If you look at that, it will take you two years to pay back that cost. Well, just that <clears throat> this is an old 97 Peterbilt. Okay. And if they decide to get rid of the exemption... I will need to speed up to about, say, 65 miles an hour. Okay. So that would put me in my current gearing at like 1,700 RPMs with a C12, So here, which probably is a little bit high. It, it is high, but I'm wondering why you're getting such good fuel economy now. Where's your RPM right now? 1450. Okay. So here's what I would do. Let, let's, let's just simplify this whole process. I would run two weeks at 65. Let's see what happens. Why not test it? Right. Okay. And then we I, have real numbers. I was just wondering if I'd, I was just wondering if I would be reducing the life of the motor quite a bit by no. running it at such a high RPM all the time. No. It, will it take some life uh, off the engine? Of course it has to, 
but we're talking minimal, really, really minimal, so much so that we'd have a very, very difficult time ever measuring it. So I would not worry about that. Um, because again, you're, you're going to spend six, you're, you're going to spend six to $8,000 to regear this truck. It could be. So if I do it one way by just buying a complete differential, it's about like close to $7,000 just for the differentials. Correct. But Peterbilt wanted to sell me just the shaft and then that vertical gear that, that, that runs off of that shaft. And those would then be like $2,100, but I'm not sure if that's a good way of going about it. You can. You don't have to change the entire housing in the differential. We can just re-gear that housing. I don't have a problem with that. Um, so that, that would be okay. By the time you get into the labor, it still gets pretty expensive. But right. let, let's, oh, just, yeah. let's just test our theory in the real world, and then we have real numbers to work with. So it, for the next two weeks, okay. if you run 65 and you call me back, then we'll say, okay, what happened to your fuel economy? And now we can calculate out, does this make sense or not? Mm-hmm. All right. What, um, what tire size? Oh, the low pro 24, 20, 22 Okay, so we could pick up a little bit if we wanted to go to a tall 22.5. I don't recommend that very often, but this may be a case where, you know, we run it, your fuel economy doesn't drop that much. We might think about going to a tall 22.5. We might pick up a little bit there, Um, but I I, I would wait and and do the test, and then we have numbers to work with. Okay. Yeah, because I... I've also, I've talked to you in the past, and uh, you got to, oh, on my trailer, I put a lift kit, so the front axle is always up. Good. Because I'm always light. Like right now, I, I, I weigh anywhere from like fifteen to 13,000 on, on the back end of the trailer. And then I went from wide singles this past spring because um, they worn out. And now I just have a normal single uh, 295 tire in its place mounted to the outside. I just don't have an inner tire. Interesting. And you guys said, well, I'd be worried maybe a little bit about Flex, um, axle irregular flex. Irregular bearing wear. Right. And stuff. And so I figure maybe next spring I'll have some uh, mechanic check the bearing wear on one of the axles just to see how that's going. But yeah, one of the, one of the ways, know, it's, it's been a, one of the ways I would have tested this and if you can mount tires easily yourself and not have to pay somebody a lot of money to do it, you might even want to try this. What I would do is I would run the truck loaded, your typical load, 13 to 15,000, whatever it is, with the single out tire the way it is right now, I would get a temp gun. And when you pull over, temp your axles. And let's see what kind of temperatures they're running. Then I would test it with duals. My guess is you're going to see that temperature come down quite a bit when you put the, the duals on. And that would be the indicator. If we are stressing out those bearings or that axles, we'll see it in heat. 
Oh, okay. And where would you put the gun? Uh, right at the end of the axle? Yeah, right at, right, right at the hub. Right at the cap there at the end of the hub. And just be consistent. Just hit okay. the same spot every time, and, and that's all we really need. And I, my guess is you're going to see a significant difference. It won't be hard to tell the difference. Uh, okay, because I know my actual temperature right now, at least the, the oil is at like one, oh, you know, just uh, just a hair over 100. Yeah, well, then it's nothing to worry about. You I mean, know. if that if that gauge, if your temperature gauge is accurate, that's nothing to worry about. And my transmission's maybe 115. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it wouldn't have uh, any. I'm running so light. Right, yeah. No, that, then I wouldn't even worry about it. I wouldn't even bother testing it. I didn't ask that because most people don't have that gauge. But, yeah, if you've got a temp gauge on the axle and that's all you're running, now that you're uh, – I, I just want to make sure. Um, your gauge is reading in Fahrenheit correctly, correct? Okay. Yeah. I just yep. wanted to double check because 100 Celsius, we'd have an yeah, issue. Okay. <laughs> Because I've had it up to like 220 before climbing up uh, out of Salt Lake, going to Wyoming right. with 116,000 yeah. pounds in the summer. Exactly. And I'm like, oh crap. Right. Even, <laughs> even honestly, even that for sh- for short periods of time doesn't hurt anything. The oil, the oil itself can handle temperatures up to 400 degrees. And seals, so, oh, wow. yeah, so, now, I, I wouldn't even bother testing this then. You're running low enough temperatures. I would just, uh, I would just leave it the way it is. Now, I, I, you know, you talked about, I just cut you loose too, and then I had this thought. I'd seriously think about singling this out as a single axle. Make it a four by two, um, and then you only have one gear set to change. Now, that makes sense single this out and change the gears that might work much better let's go to new york aj welcome to the program hi kevin thanks for taking my call i wanted to uh kind of give a testimony on uh your course that you were talking about you're open good and uh i don't know kind of been wanting to do it a while but uh it's a hard call for me because I can't stand talking about myself, uh, <laughs> especially when it's when it's something good. Because I don't want to come across as arrogant or bragging or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I know. To save those he, times for when it's when it's you know talking about somebody else's accomplishment. Yeah, here, good here's the thing. Let, let me make you a little more comfortable because I get it. I, I get it, and that's a good thing. That's not a bad trait. To be humble is a good thing. But think about the purpose of the show. It's to help people, right? Have you been helped by this show? Immensely. Yeah. The, the only way we, we, we have to talk about this stuff. And yet, sometimes we're going to talk about ourselves. We're going to brag about ourselves. We're going to put out our numbers. Uh, it, it's not to brag. It, and clearly with you, it's not to brag. But it, it is a way to help other people. They, they can see the numbers. They can hear the numbers. That, that is helpful to other people. Yeah. So I took the course. 2000, oh, I guess, 19. Okay. And I started taking it, but, I st- you know, I found you when you first hit the 11 o'clock on Sirius XM. 
And he started talking about the keto, and it took me a few years to get onto that, but I got onto that. I started saving money. I was running local. I was over the road for a little bit, then I started running local, and then I was like, man, I got to start saving some money. That's the only way to, you know, to do all this stuff, which is good to do anyway. So I started That's doing right. it and listening and listening and listening, and uh, and it, you know, I took started taking the course, and I went from back over the road, then I went back to local, and I just kept going back and forth between okay. jobs. I couldn't figure out what it was about. And, um, and then, so I started, you know, saving money. My wife and I got out of debt and congratulations. Uh, so by the time I was, yeah, thanks. Um, by the time I got into the course, um, some of the work was done, but yeah, you get into the paperwork and you start breaking down the numbers, which I love to do. Good. And it's, it, it's fun after you get into it. Once you get into a rhythm, I know it's tough at first when you start trying to dig up all this information, you know, what do you, right. what do you owe on this? What do you owe on that? <laughs> right. Savings. What do you own for a vehicle? Go on Kelly blue book. What's it worth? And you fill out all this stuff. But once you get rolling, it's, it's really, it's, it's fun. And, um, good. So I did it. I was looking at trucks all the way through and yeah, 11 week, you know, week 11, whatever it is. Um, did a little look and I found this truck. Um, uh, yeah, I paid 25,000 for this back in March of last year, 2021. Nice. Uh, we were still in COVID, still right. in lockdowns. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but the guy, you know, he, I guess he couldn't, didn't really have a lot of bites on it. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, six by two. Oh, really? I got one axle that doesn't lift. Oh, yeah. The dead, the dead axle doesn't lift. It's okay. Just a, got it. Just a helper axle. Yep. And, uh, 250, 250 gearings with a 10 speed direct. Wow. So I run. Nice setup. 60 to 65 at, uh, at 13, uh, 1300 is about 62, 1350 is around 65. So, um, that's not last 90 has been about 8.4. Excellent. On the, on the last Excellent. 90 overall life Get, is seven, nine getting eight, Eight, I didn't run it. Yeah, getting eight miles to the gallon on a $25,000 truck is awesome. Congratulations. Nice job. Yeah, I have, uh, you know, like I said, I don't like really talking about myself. I got to, you know, give everything, first of all, to the Lord above. And, and then, I, you know, finding this, uh, hey. this course and this material and, hey, AJ. and everything. AJ, and now, I, yeah. always remember, he helps people who help themselves. He helps everybody. He helps yourself or not. He helps everybody. Yeah, we could discuss that. But uh, I, I do believe that a lot of things happen for a reason. And, and we, look, he doesn't. Absolutely. Look, if, if I sit around and eat bonbons and, you know, watch the movie channel all day long, I'm not going to be successful. I, I don't, and I don't care how, now. We could also redefine successful lots of different ways. But I, th I think we all know that really part of success is we, we should be giving back too. And if you're in a place where you can, yeah. you know, provide for yourself just fine, but you're not giving back, well, then I don't think you've really made it yet. And I don't think you're all that successful. I think that that's a part of what, you know, we, we are a connected tribe. That's why we talk about this. We need each other. We don't succeed on our own. And, and part of that is giving back. But I, I do believe you have to get out and work. And, and you've done that. And, and then that effort gets multiplied. Yeah, 
And you made a really good point. Everything, I believe that everything happens for a reason. So if you go throughout my whole life, I, I always question, why is this? Why is that? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Uh, well, I grew up, like I said uh, before on the show, I, you know, was uh, pumping gas for a gas station. I had tow trucks, started in the dispatch, went to working on the tow trucks, started driving the tow trucks. And then, there you, go. Um, you know, learning all that and then spinning wrenches with my stepfather and his business and being interested in all the paperwork and everything like that. But then I was 15 at that time. I knew everything could tell me. So <laughs> right. I, like, I can do right. somewhere else, that kind of thing. Yeah. And when I, but, and then it came to the, well, my business minded, I had to ask myself that. And then it didn't, wasn't until that time I came back to when I was 12 years old. My first job was in a pet store and I was working for like five bucks an hour cleaning cages. There you go. Cages. Yeah. Uh, snake cages and stuff like that. But then they's like, yeah, hey, you know, we don't really don't, you know, I don't I can't remember what year it was, but they didn't want to afford it anymore. I started selling candy. I we our bus stop was at a at a little convenience store. And I would go in there. I got some money for Christmas. So I took a bunch of money, I bought a bunch of candy and started selling it in the hallway at school. And <laughs> I, I was walking in, around with it, a Walkman. I was walking around with a it, new Walkman. That's right. Yeah. Tapes. Yeah. The, yeah, those were about a hundred uh, bucks so a piece I, I back then back too. They, like, yeah. they they were pretty expensive back then. Right. Um, I I told this right. story in in, in elementary school, like third and fourth grade. I was making cinnamon toothpicks at home and selling them for a nickel a piece at school. And uh, it, you, you know that 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 is the typical story of many entrepreneurs. Um, I, and I read autobiographies, you know, you, you read histories of people like Mark Cuban and um, a, a lot of them. That, that is a typical kind of story of entrepreneurs. Even from a young age, they found weird ways to make money. Yep. So then you get into the, you, that kind of starts you off on digging into your numbers Um if you can't do that part of the course, then you probably not want to want to be in business because you got to pay attention to those numbers all the time. And I love doing it. I mean, I, I'm at home sometimes. I'll be out with the out with my wife shopping, or or I mean, I'll be in my in my phone. What are you what are you doing with your phone? <laughs> ah, I just thought of something. I wanted the numbers. <laughs> That's right. That. And, yep. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, yeah, I got in, and then you so you're out there trucking, and it's like, oh, the numbers this month went up. Yeah. What changed? Uh, numbers went down this month. What what changed? And you can and I have your profit gauges, so you know, you can break everything down to excellent month, quarter year. Yep. Uh, and stuff like that. So I was able to. I think I get, right now I'm at two nineteen uh, revenue all miles, a um, dollar fourteen a mile to run the truck. So the, there the, you go. So the rest is profit, a dollar yep. or whatever that what, whatever that is. So, awesome. Which where I live. It, is, up, uh, I'm right on the water in New England and in, in Massachusetts. So it's like, it's uh, a lot of that goes to, to everyday living. Oh, I was going to say, you have an outrageously high cost of living. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it's doable. My Good. wife is also Good. self-employed and she, she works to put the kids in a private school, uh, especially Excellent. in that area is, is that, imperative, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, just pay. You got to pay attention to the numbers. You got to see. You know, you know, I'm trying to get her to do that. So I don't have to do it for. Her, yeah, you know, I, I've I've kind of started with with this this morning. This was kind of my theme that most people who get into business, period. But I'll focus on trucking. Most people who buy a truck and want to become an owner operator, their focus is on the trucking side of things. 
And that's okay, and, and you do need to know all those things, but it's not the really important part. That they True entrepreneurs can run any business. You don't have to have the experience of the business or not much of it, whatever the business is. And trucking's no different. It's not the trucking part of this that's going to make anybody really successful as a business owner. It's the business part. And I can tell the difference when I talk to somebody on the phone, whether they're a truck driver who wants to own a truck or whether they're an entrepreneur. And entrepreneurs are easy to work with. They get it. They know they have to look at the numbers. They know they have to, you know, manage profit. And like I said, I can take somebody who's, you know, an excellent driver 40 years uh, and they will be horribly unsuccessful sometimes in business. I can take a guy who just, doesn't drive the truck all that well, doesn't have much experience at all, but they could be wildly successful as an owner-operator. And I know a lot of people hate to hear that, but that's just the way it works. Yeah, yeah. And my wife does a couple of side gigs. Now, the, a couple houses. having and said that... some kids, and I don't know anything about that. Yeah, having said I, that... I, the, I help her with the numbers, so... The best combination is an entrepreneur who gets the business side of things and is good at trucking. That's really the, the best case scenario. That's right. So all these things in my life that was happening, learning how to wrench on it. Exactly. I did a lot of the small stuff myself. Right. Right. Um, had to pay somebody to put the bearings in. We were, you know, uh, well, you know, we're still learning about that. But uh, and then I had to somebody do the injector cups when I was down in Florida. So those are two big things. Yeah. A lot of the mistakes I did in the in the first year was running where I shouldn't have, have run. Um, I noticed that if I did long runs, I spent a lot on fuel, and I could make the same, if not more, per mile just running the Northeast. Yep, because nobody wants to do it. I guess. Yep. I don't know. No, uh, you're you're uh, absolutely so I right. Spending less on fuel and bringing in the same revenue, and I spent too much time in Florida last winter. <laughs> going back, going in and out of the air, the revenue went down. But you know, yeah, it looks it looks different when you're doing it. Uh, if you're not looking in the numbers, it could perceive itself as as something, or you can perceive it as oh, absolutely, as yeah. When it comes to math, and the math doesn't lie. That's, Math never lies. That's exactly right. So, but that's just uh, what I wanted to say. I'll probably call back tomorrow because I got I, I got this new run that I'm running back and forth up north here from New England into Michigan, and I'm doing it all winter. And I got this six by two, so I got to talk to yeah. Call me. Talk to you guys tomorrow about call us up on running in the uh, running in the snow because I'll be facing it. <laughs> yep, we'll talk about it. I think. Um, Joel is a yes for tomorrow. John's Joel's supposed to be back tomorrow. Yeah, Joel's a yes. John is a maybe for tomorrow. All right, cool. All right. Sounds good. I'll call tomorrow. We'll Have look forward to day. it. Let's uh, let's head off to Florida. Matt, are you dodging hurricanes? Hello. Uh, no, I am just getting to the edge of where anything would have started. Okay. Came down I-75. I'm just getting into Tampa now. Oh. And you're behind I the storm. Even seen any real trees down yet? Yeah. Um yeah, my everything got pushed back a day. Well, <laughs> my northbound load got pushed up a day, so <laughs> when I get empty tonight, I don't have a load for tomorrow. Uh, but right. uh I'm probably just going to head north empty cuz 
financially, it makes more sense to me to just go up and pick up another load and come back down again than well, you know, try to fight with. Think think about it. You're familiar with Florida yeah. freight. Uh, Time uh, thing, yeah. yeah. On a good day, there's a lot more freight coming into Florida than there is going out. That's why we have such poor rates coming out all the time. But now we're going to be shipping everything into Florida. <laughs> she, you're right. You just just get out of yeah. Florida is what you got to do. Yeah. So yeah, here that you know the ditches are full of water, but it, I don't think there was any flooding here yet. But it's not very far south of here where it started. Yeah, Tampa Tampa um, got off pretty easy. They dodged a pretty big bullet there. You know, so yeah, and that's, you know, listening to the news, you get, you'll get you get more information than talking to me because I'm not... You're not seeing areas, anything, but, right, yeah. yeah that, you know, the, uh, the flooding sounds like it's the worst it's ever been. Yes. I mean, on record, you know, 500-year flood, you know, uh, cycle, whatever they call those, you know, it's, it's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of water, a lot of water. I mean, the wind was strong and there's plenty of wind damage, but the real story is the water. Yep. So, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, everybody's safe and family members of any of our listeners that, uh, everything turns out. Okay. It's, and they've been saying this on the news many times. There's a lot more people die after the storm from <laughs> stupid flooding, stuff, electrical, right. CO2, stupid stuff, people running chainsaws and cutting trees that have no experience and something falls on them or, you know, chainsaw accidents. And yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm I th- very experienced with a chainsaw and I, <laughs> there's, there is a very dangerous side to that. Yes, there is. Yeah, there is. I think I heard something yesterday. I forget which storm they were talking about. Maybe Irma. I don't know. After a while, you start to get them all confused. But they gave some statistics. It was like four people died during the storm and 70 some died after. Yeah. It wasn't even close. I mean, the after was way more dangerous than the storm itself. But you're right. There's there's a lot of stuff that's going on uh, after the fact that that's when you should really be careful. Yeah, and some of them, you know, just silly stuff. Uh, they talk about generator safety and knowing how to run a generator. And generators are pretty simple things, you know. Yeah, but, but you can't run it in your kitchen. For an air conditioner. <laughs> Yep, and you put it right next to the window that's sucking air into your house, the exhaust, right. the CO2, and then in a flood, <laughs> it's setting on the ground with an extension cord that runs into the water. Uh-huh. It's, you know, it's so, stupid little things that most of us so, overlook. So I have a funny story about that a generator and safety. Um I've run a lot of generators. I've run chainsaws. I I know pretty much how to stay safe doing a lot of this stuff. Um, So when we were in Colorado, um, we got that massive snowstorm in May, like almost five feet of snow. I mean, we just got dumped on in May and we had a CMC coming up and our power went out. And so, of course, I've got to go get a generator and, you know, we've we've got work to do. We're getting ready for a CMC. So I get the generator, bring it home. I'm getting it all set up. Lisa grabs the owner's manual and she starts reading and she's like, 
where's your grounding rod? I'm like, I'm not using a grounding rod. She's like, it says right here, you have to use a grounding rod. You might kill somebody. I'm like, I'm not using a grounding rod. I've run generators. It's not that big of a deal. She's like, look, it's the, (sighs) so I had to go down to the hardware store and I'm, you know, getting, and the guy's like, really need a grounding rod? And I'm like, look, don't start. Just give me what I need. (laughs) So yeah, I, I, I grounded it. Not that it's all that necessary, but it's not a bad idea. It does make it significantly safer if something goes wrong, but yeah, that's the kind of stuff that gets people. Yeah. So the main reason for my call today is uh, you've talked about investing over the last couple of weeks, and you had a call here a little while ago. And I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, I do want to give a different opinion. And this is kind of what Dave Ramsey has moved to. Uh, let, let's take a step back first. Um, a couple Mondays ago, you were talking and more about the age and where you should be depending upon your age. And that I completely agree with you on. No, no um, argument there. But you, and it's because of your age, you emphasize your age group and getting out of the market. So I want to emphasize my age group. I'm 45 and I am trying to invest like crazy right now. I'm trying to put more into the market. Oh, I would be because at your age. Yeah. 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 I would be at your age. So yeah. So it, it, (laughs) and with all the different books we've read, uh, did you ever finish a creature from Jekyll Island? No, I haven't. I got to go back to that one. It, it gets really goofy in spots. The ending is great. Okay. I have and something I to look forward to then. I listen to the ending because yeah. I don't remember what was so great about it. <laughs> I, I thought it, it, when he wrapped it up, he wrapped it up very well. Okay. But there were spots in there. I mean, conspiracy theory stuff. It, and it, it, it gets pretty out there. You know, and then, you know, the theory with the, the end of the world is just the beginning. And there's also people predicting out there our economy oh actually i just got on i4 and there's several trees down here now okay so it wasn't far (laughs) and we hit the line um but uh people are starting to predict you know the like the stock market averages 10 percent that that is coming to an end and I believe the reason they say that is, like in the book, The End of the World, the population growth is going to basically come to an end. You know, that our population isn't going to keep growing. We might even hit a peak and pull back some. Right. And I would assume those are related. Because when we have continuous growth of people, which is continuous growth of demand on products and services, that's continuous growth of business. Right. If all that stabilizes and, you know, flatlines, we don't have growth in population. That means we will lose growth in demand for new products and, you know, 
I mean, there's always yeah, going to be new stuff and changes. And that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah then has the potential. Then you have to, if there is no population growth, you're right. Then you have to start shifting your your mindset about how you invest. You have to start looking at new industries. Yeah, and I'm going to use one. I hate to use nope. this one because it's got so many other issues. But solar, for example. Um, I was going to say, it has to either be electric or solar. <laughs> right. It, it's, you know, it, let's look at solar. Not many people have solar. But if we get the technology right, solar is a really cool thing. It, 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 in a way, it can be free energy. We're just not there yet. There's a lot of scams. There are governments too involved. But if that were the case, if, if we came out with this great solar panel, cheap, easy to install, give free power, there would be... Even though the population doesn't grow, everybody would want it. So you would have growth in that one industry. But you're right. If if the population stops growing, the economy is going to get pretty stagnant. Yeah. Hang on one second here. I got an alarm going off on my phone. Probably some weather or something, but... Um, so back to the investing side and kind of where Dave Ramsey has changed his. Now, you also got to realize Dave Ramsey's situation. I believe, you know, if you believe the news or whatever, he doesn't report this, but I think they say on the news his net worth is like $200 million now. I so obviously somebody... Yeah, and I, I mean, it's a believable number. Yeah, absolutely. He owns a lot of real estate. Right. Commercial real estate. So um, somebody with that type of net worth obviously can stay invested with a lot less worry. Correct. Right. Yeah. But he, you, he's kind of moved to the point of just staying in investments forever. Because if you have a large enough retirement account, then let's let's use that magic number of $1 million. Everybody would love to get there. And we use the 10% rate of return for an average. That's $100,000 a year. Without touching you your principal. And principal, yep. Right. So, but there's two, two I mean, real, perfectly. it does work perfectly, but there's two huge caveats here. First, I have to accumulate a million dollars. And that's not the largest part of my audience. Let's just be real. There are some out there that are, no, are, that are doing we're it. We're talking uh, yeah, that, actual re- investment. We're not talking net worth. Correct. Most we're, people's net worth. Right. Their largest asset is their house. Right. And unless you plan on selling that and downsizing or using a reverse mortgage isn't available or a reverse mortgage in retirement. That's an option. So Dave has a different, Dave has a similar audience to mine. Plus some Dave's got a lot of wealthy people that listen to him way more than I do way, way more. So that's the first problem. Most people I'm talking to aren't going to accumulate enough. And There have been very, very few times in history where you could collect that. You know, even though we say the stock market returns 10%, trying to get 10% cash out of it year after year after year is not easy. And what happens 
in these years where the next two or three, it will be impossible. I, I, nobody's getting 10% well, over the next couple of years. So what do you do then? That's what I, I guess I'm calling to, to give a different opinion on. Is the math still works, what Dave has worked out, and I've, I mean, I've never done it on paper, but it, to go back and use historical numbers. But so your example, and let's stick with that million dollars just because it's a number everybody would love and the math is easy when you use round numbers. Million dollars and pulling out, you know, if you need 100000 a year in retirement. So if you start with a million, and back in 2008, we lost 60%. So your example went from a million to 400000 It went to 400. You're only pulling 100000 out. So now your 400 became 300, but it had a 50% rate of return the next couple of years. I mean, it took a while to get back to the original, but then your 300 turned into back did, to 450. Did you say 50% rate of return or 15? 50% of return, so 50. I, that's pretty aggressive to back, count on 50% growth. When you have a 60% loss, a 50% rate of return somewhere doesn't take that long. Okay. It only took it's, like two years to get back to... Two years is a long time. Well, I, if people were counting on $100,000 a year and all of a sudden they're getting forty to live on, so that now they have to touch more of the principal, which means the more principal I eat up, when the market does come back, I get less growth because I had to eat up my principal. Yeah, but here's here's again, Dave Ramsey has a huge audience, yep. and he's got enough people that can yeah they fit into this. It might work. Boy, this this wouldn't work for one percent of my audience. Okay. And I'm not saying this is the way you should go 100%. I'm into that. Um, I like the five year cushion. That's what Dave Ramsey used to say years ago. And I, I think he still does. I guess I haven't heard him say in a while. But any money you plan on spending in the next five years should not be invested. Correct. So I think this is just my opinion and my plan going into retirement is you pull five years of your living expense out of the market and whether it's, you know, between CDs and, you know, whatever interest rates are at the time, different safe investments. And then you leave the other 50% or, you know, whatever you have above that in, in the market that will go up and down and you just, either pull that full years out or sometimes you wait a year, but I, I don't necessarily run, disagree you're, you're with never... this. I, I, I really don't. I, th this can make sense mathematically. Um, but you know, and, and Dave Ramsey has some things that I could argue to him. Well, no, mathematically, this makes way more sense. And he'd say, but still don't do it. And I, you know the one big example. If we use credit cards properly, 
we can create all kinds of advantages. You know, you have to have the discipline to do it. it but it's it's just math. So it's the same argument. He's arguing, well, this is math. Well, so is the credit card thing. And you will tell people day after day after day, don't do it. Yeah. Well, and he had a caller here several weeks ago, listened to his podcast, and he's wondering, he was wondering what to do. He'd come into like $200,000 and or he saved it up or I don't know how, but that was his dollar amount. Yeah. And he... Many times he'd lost money in the stock market because he'd put money in, then it would drop, and he'd panic, and he'd pull it out. That, that's that's typical. You know, which is, that, that's what everybody the, does, right? That is the majority right. of people. Yep. Yeah. So he says he's got burned many times, but he's made money in real estate, and Dave said, well, maybe you should focus on real estate and just ignore the market. <laughs> that makes don't, sense. Don't touch the market at all. Right. If that's what makes you comfortable, yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah. So, look, I, I, Dave Ramsey gives excellent financial advice. Absolutely. And when he's talking to each individual, his advice is spot on. There's all, very few things I disagree. And even where I disagree, it, it's just really a matter of risk. And that becomes very individual. But as a big picture, you'd have to be careful with this kind of advice, telling 65-year-olds to stay in the market. And I, I guess the reason I am leaning towards what Dave says is because you have the ability to. I have the knowledge and the the I resources in the market. Well, I, and here's the other thing: no. you have the the nut that's big enough to make this work. That's the the first step. In order to even think about doing this, I have to have a pretty big nut. I have to have a lot of money here to be able to split it up to accomplish some of these things. Most people, when we're talking about retirement, hell, we're trying to squeeze out how they're going to pay for their groceries. In my world, anyway. I mean, that that's typically the people I'm dealing with. So in, 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 take the call today. I mean, I, I, I didn't get deep into numbers, but I... I Kind of doubt she's got millions of dollars sitting around. She's 60 and her financial planner is keeping her in the market, but not really explaining why. I don't think this strategy works for her. And uh, like the last caller, you know, you don't want to, you didn't want to brag about stuff. And I, I really struggle with some of my calls anymore because I try to be a complete open book. I have no problem talking about myself, but I don't want to sound like I'm bragging to anybody. I want to give examples of what is possible. Exactly. I I am very thankful of the way things have turned out in my life and, you know, the work I've done to put myself in positions. So one of my current goals, you know, year over year goal is the net worth and it's been to increase it by $100,000 a year. Oh, man, that's and a big goal. The past Holy couple cow. Of years, well, but, but it's been easy, or not easy, but it's, it's doable. Been possible because right. the stock market's been climbing. I've got paid for real estate that's climbing. This year, year to date, and what we're, well, we might as well say nine months in, going into our 10th month here. 
my net worth is up $27,000 so far this year. <laughs> little <laughs> bit of a change. <laughs> little bit of a change there, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And I've probably but, invested but, more this year than any year in the past. But let's put that into context. Really, I mean, when your goal was a hundred thousand and you were hitting it in those good years, now all of a sudden it's twenty-seven. That feels horrible. But let's put it into context. Yep. How many Americans? It's a positive number. Yeah. I'm how happy. many? How many Americans have increased their net worth twenty-seven thousand dollars this year so far? Very few. Um. Yep. Matter of fact, you know, it sounds like credit card debt is. Through the roof. Big problem here again. Through the roof. We were, they were bragging about it during 2020. Um, When everything shut down, nobody could spend any money. And we actually saw some really positive numbers in, in savings and credit card debt, but that's all been wiped out. Yeah. I, uh, I truly believe we're, in for some oh, real rough times, you know, it's even just getting started yet. There, you know, because we got the, you know, the GDP measurement, we got, you know, the stock market measurement, different things, and, you know, the inflation rate. But I, inflation, you know, I could see that maybe stalling out and leveling out because it, if the economy slows right. down enough. Right. But, the other two, the stock market and the GDP numbers, I think are are got some really rough days ahead here. And real estate. Real estate is a mess oh, yeah, right now. An absolute mess. Um, um, so, so now here's another one. Dave Ramsey has been saying the opposite. And he's using statistical numbers. The number of people looking for a house is still high. Correct. But it's the the interest rate that's slowing it down faster and the fact that the you know the housing market is already high that so it I don't think it'll have to drop a whole lot before home sales start picking up again. No, there's it's, it's more the interest rate that really affects it, I think. Yeah, but I, I, I'm I'm not too worried about home sales actually. I, I and here I have a great example. I'm working with my son right now, helping him with this. Um, I was saying absolutely no, don't buy a house right now. You're that you'd be insane. But he gave me a scenario, and I, I had to change my mind. His scenario is he's currently renting. Um, he has some pretty specific requirements about where he needs to live and how much space he has to run a business at home. And so several things. So we, he's, he's in the market, uh, like 500,000 is what he's going to have to spend to get a house, um, which is a lot of money for your first house. I, and you know, I, I, well, yeah, I would say for in your twenties, that's insane, but well, he's thir- he's, he's in his thirties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's in his thirties. Yeah. So, but it, it's still a lot for your first house. There's no doubt. Um, and I said, you know, six months from now, that $500,000 house might be 400000 And it might be, but here's what's going on. Do you know what people are paying for rent now? He needs like a four-bedroom, about 2,200 square feet. He's up near Bellingham, and he's kind of got to stay in that area for a couple of reasons. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's currently higher than house payment, yeah. It's, it's $2,800 a month. 
is what he's paying for that, the house he needs, where he needs $2,800 a month in rent. That's insane. So it actually does make sense for him. And, And you can't get it any cheaper. And it's going up, not down. It actually does make sense for him to buy a house right now. Yeah, well, we're probably within a year of the same thing of, of our oldest. And, you know, they're saving and preparing now, but they're not actually shopping yet. Yeah, so it's, it's house and well, it, 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 you know, that what I said was the longer you can hold out, the better. The problem is, his lease is going to come up, then he's going to have to sign another year. And it, so it's a timing thing. So, you know, if you've got somebody who yep. can wait, then wait. But you look at all the factors going on, and it might not make sense for him to wait. It might make things worse. Yeah, it's a it's a tough call. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then, so. you know, not only are you buying your first house and you're still pretty young, I mean, his business is fairly new. We're heading into a bad economy. I mean, this is a tough call. Yeah. And yeah, that, in my opinion, is probably going to have the largest impact on real estate is if we get to the point where there's a lot of layoffs and, you know, large corporations start cutting upper management jobs. Yeah, there just isn't enough money. People will default. Expensive homes that people, yep, can no longer make their payment. And we go back into the whole foreclosure thing, like 2008, 2009. And... That will bring the that would bring the real estate market down, but it's hard to say. Yeah, you know the the one thing we I mean, when when we talk about inflation, and then if we raise interest rates, it slows down the economy. If you slow down the economy, the inflation should come back down. What worries me, and I don't understand this, I'd have to go study this more. Um, countries fail over inflation. It's like when a country fails, it's almost always because of rampant inflation. That's what happens at the end. You look at countries like uh, uh, Venezuela, which was a a capitalist, very, very successful country in South America. I think one of the most successful, if not the most successful at one point uh, financially. Um, It was of South America. Yeah, I think it it was. moved progressive politically, very progressive. What what causes that rampant runaway inflation, even though the economy isn't doing well? And that's what you see in countries like that. And it's a disaster. I mean, they, they fall apart completely. It's horrible. Um, I, I'm not sure what triggers that. You know, you think that, wait a minute, if there's rampant inflation, that's going to slow the economy down. And once the economy slows down, the inflation should go away. But sometimes it doesn't. And that is really dangerous. But I don't know what it is that triggers that. I believe it's like our Federal Reserve and our debt load. And then the... They just keep devaluing. service that... Yeah, when you have major socialist programs, and you keep printing money, spend on the government to start paying for everything. Yeah, and then there's when you can't sell that debt. So that's what drives inflation. You know, into them 
So if that's the case, quadruple numbers, you know, if that's the case, then we need to be concerned about that in this country. That could happen. Yeah, that's always been my opinion is, you know, yes, running a deficit sometimes is a good thing because it's, you know, builds the economy. And during inflation, anything you build today will be cheaper right. than trying to build it, you know, three years from now. But we're on a perpetual deficit. I mean, when's the last time we actually had a balanced budget was Clinton. in the 90s. Clinton. And that was one year before that. It was right in the 70s or in the... I mean, it was after World War II we actually ran a balanced budget. surpluses for a while and right. paid down. Yeah, yeah we, we were paying down the debt from World War II, but really since probably the mid-70s, and there's no reason we've had good economies, but yet we're still running deficits. I mean, right. Well, no sense to me. It, it, well, let's think about it. Um, the government is just run by people. People usually act about the yep. same. And don't we see this in individual lives? Just because people keep making more and more yep. and more money during their career, yet we never really see their net worth increase. Their their standard of living might look they better. Are. They buy a bigger house. They buy more cars. They have more stuff. Uh, but their net worth never really grows. The more money they earn, the more they spend. And then even above that, the more they borrow and go into debt. And our country does the same thing. You're right. There were all those years we could have focused on paying off debt. We could have been debt-free. We could have had all kinds of cash. But instead, we just keep going and borrowing more or printing more. No. The government has two ways of screwing up our money supply. As individuals, we only have one way of (laughs) screwing this up. We could borrow too much money and, and really hurt ourselves. The government has two ways. They can borrow it or they can just print it. Um, well, to change the subject here, because I'm going to have to let you go pretty soon, I just got into Lakeland and uh, off on city streets, and there's all kinds of palm branches down on the road, and a couple street signs here kind of leaning off to the side, and there's, there's a lot of water in the ditches. All right. Well, sounds like you should uh, yeah, but, you should go yeah, back. I'm and- only a mile or two away from my delivery here. They say it's scheduled for 3 a.m., but... It's a, it's a grocery warehouse. I know they're looking for stuff, so... There you go. I'm just going to show up and see what happens. <laughs> All right. Give us, uh, give us a report later on. I'm sure you're going to see a lot today. Um, Rolling Toe was supposed to start in two minutes, but I've got uh, two more calls. I'm going to take these last two calls. I'm not going to take any more. Um, and when I finish these, we will restart the system. So don't call in for rolling toe yet. We'll restart the system and I'll let you know when, uh, let's go to Oklahoma. Tim, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call. It's been interesting to show today. I'm calling, uh, I recently purchased a 2015 international pro star with an ISX 15 400 ST. So it's a 400 horsepower motor. And I'm experiencing low fuel economy. Um, I do oil sampling. My uh, There's no sign of the injectors being bad or anything. I took it to my uh, Cummins engine shop in Oklahoma. I asked them to uh, pressure test the charger cooling system 
Instead, they put it on their dyno, and it came out that it was on their dyno putting 350 horse to the ground, um, which I guess, uh, according to them, is above spec. And they said that, you know, 6.6 miles per gallon isn't a problem. So the engine is fine. Everything's fine. So, fine. so never, say. never pull into that place again. Okay. Yeah, that was my first thought. Yeah, never pull into that place again. What do you mean 6.6 is okay? No, it's not. I just told you it's not. That's why I'm here. I'm telling you 6.6 isn't good enough for me. I want you to help me get better. The reason they say it's you want to know why they say it's okay? Why? They don't know how to make it better. There's nothing they're going to be able to do that will help you. Why didn't they test your charger cooler? You asked for it. I, that's what I asked, asked them. I specifically <sighs> asked for that. It's actually on the work order, and they didn't do it. What he said was, when I talked to I couldn't talk to the mechanic. I talked to the service writer, and he said, because there is no way it's leaking if it's getting spec. Bullshit. So it's putting 350 He's an idiot. to the ground. He's an idiot. So it can't be leaking. Yes, it can. Okay. And it probably is. Not okay. only can it, the odds are pretty about 30%. 30 to 40% chance. Those are pretty big odds. And okay. I'm sure you were willing to pay for this test, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's, they passed yeah, it's a, up... It's an older used truck I bought. It. I, they I'm passed up an opportunity it, so, to get yeah. paid for what they do, and they did not service their customer. I would never do business with these people. So the Probably, only thing I, I've I heard that they, shot. the yeah. only thing I've heard they said that was actually correct is that your horsepower is within spec. Have you, how many times have you heard us complain about that phrase itself? It's within spec. Yeah, I hate yeah, hearing that. Don't tell me it's within spec. Your specs suck. I don't want to be within spec. I want to be better. I want to be optimal. And the, this company has no concept of what optimal is. So here's why at 400 horse, um, we could lose 15 to 20% through the driveline. Let's go with 15. It's a pretty efficient driveline. Um, that's uh, at 400, that's 60 horsepower you lose. So we could expect at the wheel you would be putting out 340. You're putting out 350. Uh, okay, you're within spec. 6.6 yeah. 6 miles to the gallon. Did, did you just hear a call I had a little earlier, guys getting 10? Yeah, I yeah. heard that. I'm a little jealous. Yeah. Not a little jealous, a lot jealous. I, exactly. But you get there by working at it. You don't get there by saying, oh, we put it on the dyno and it's within spec. Oh, and no, we're not going to charge your... Test your charger cooler. <laughs> what a horrible service experience. Well, I've been having a series of those. I bought, it's a used truck I bought from a guy who's retiring. He didn't know much about the business. I had I looked through the truck. It's The truck itself is a decent shape. Oil samples are great, everything. And I saw the 400 horsepower. I tried to get some information about it. This thing is supposed to get great mileage. That's why I bought it. It's a little underpowered from what I'm used to. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Let me, I, I want to... I want to ask you about a statement you just made. You said this thing is supposed sure. to get really good fuel economy. According to who and why? Well, 
According, well, according to, of course, what I could find on the internet, people talking about it. And then I called a Cummins customer service 800 number when I was looking at it because I didn't know there was a 400 ST model. I'd never heard of it. And so they told me it, the reason it's cut back that way is to, because uh, it's still a 15 liter engine, is to increase, significantly increase the fuel economy. So wait a minute. Wait so a minute. That's okay, what I was let, expecting. Uh, okay, so hold on. I have the manufacturer telling me this spec should significantly increase fuel economy. Oh, okay, well, I'm getting 6.6. What's wrong then? Did they address that? Tell me why I'm not, because no, you're not. Like the, Your fuel economy yeah, that's sucks. What I, you know, it was, they just repeat, at the, deal, at the Cummins engine shop, you know, they, they just repeated back to me that that's an okay number. <laughs> No, it's not. There's nothing wrong with 6.6. There is. It's uh, awful. Yeah, I, yeah. My God, I was getting seven and a half in 1992. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come yeah, on. That was my old, my 30 old years ago. And I, and I flew down the highway pulling heavy all the time. Yeah, I know. This is bullshit. So oh my that's, God. It's, that's why I was asking, can yeah. we... Can we, can we get the horsepower and it still be leaking or, you know, so yes. I guess my answer is I need to find somewhere else to get that, that checked out. Not somewhere else. Just point that thing towards Pittsburgh and don't stop until you get there. Think so? Absolutely. You will get, okay. you will get none kinda, of this crap. You could pull in at 8.6 and nobody's going to look at you and go, oh, well, that's good enough. Don't worry about it. Okay. I guess it's probably worth it. That's the other thing I was thinking because, you know, Tulsa, I'm having a hard time finding a quality shop. Like, this is not a new I, experience. I, I promise you this. Trying if you pull into Pittsburgh Power and no. say, can you test my charger cooler? Not only will they pressure test it, they'll smoke test it. And they're not going to go, oh, no, let's just throw it on the dyno and see if it's within spec. Okay. What do you think about, because I've been told one of the guys in the back of that office said, what you need to do is turn the horsepower up. Is that something that can be done without changing a whole bunch of parts on these? Do you know? Is it worth it? Is it a good idea? Without changing any physical parts. Now, I'm not saying you should do this. I'm just saying what's possible. Without changing any physical parts, I don't think it would be that difficult to get 750 horse out of that engine that's changing no physical parts at all yeah that's all tuning tuning is huge on electronic diesels so i mean i have a c13 cat significantly smaller than what you've got and i'm pushing 800 plus horsepower on just the tune alone now what does that do to your fuel economy though uh, mine went up a mile and a half per gallon. Kidding. If you drive it right, I could yeah. also go down a mile yeah. and a half per gallon if I took all that horsepower and raced everybody to the top of the hill all the time. So it's a matter of how you drive it. And I don't want to see yours at seven or 800. Somewhere between 550 and six is where you want yours. Yeah, I'd be happy with 500. I mean, but if I could do better, yeah, okay. Well, I guess I need to be heading up to 
<laughs> Pittsburgh. Yeah, they'll 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 make sure the over. When was the last time the overhead was set? I'm not certain. I've been trying to find records on it, and I, it's uh, through international and Cummins, and there's not a lot there. On, on the X15, the, you the, could the, you could lose half a mile per gallon on on overhead set alone. Okay. Oh, that's. I didn't know that. Between on that truck, if you had a leaking charger cooler, a significant leak, which you could have and you would still be at that horsepower, that, that there's way too much variability in that number. Um, you could have a leaking charger cooler and the overhead set wrong. We could be losing somewhere between seven tenths and a full mile per gallon on those two maintenance items alone. Okay. If some right. if, if yeah, somebody pulls in and you're stop. talking to a mechanic, a, um, a a maintenance supervisor, a whatever, and you say I'm interested in getting better fuel economy, and they don't recommend a charger cooler test and ask you when the overhead was set, you should just turn around and leave. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of. Don't seem to know. I got out of being an owner operator and came home for 10 years. I just got back into uh, over the road trucking and bought my own truck again and all of that. And I have never had such a difficult time finding people willing to actually work on equipment. Yep. Never mind it's, with any kind of. It's the worst it's ever been. Or expertise. I've right. never. It, it's, I've never. It's, it's the, like a fight. It's a fight to get them to work on anything. It's a, the worst I've ever seen. Now, I'll tell you this. When you go to Pittsburgh, you're going to have to deal with the fact that they're very busy. They're short on people just like everybody else. But when your truck hits the floor, they'll work on it. And they'll do whatever you want them to do. And well, they'll be able to give you advice what on what you should do. They... It, they know every way there is to increase fuel economy. We've been working for years. They do all the same stuff we do. Um, no way will they say you're getting 6.6. That's good enough. If you wanted to get 10. What else? Uh if you wanted to get 10 and you went. Now, here's the. Let's take a step back. 99.9% of the mechan diesel mechanics in this country never think about fuel economy. It's not their job. They never think about it. Their, their job is to fix the truck when you bring it to them and it's broke. That's their job. Now, are there good people out there that know how to improve fuel economy? Yeah. Um, Pittsburgh Power is clearly one of them, one of the best in the country. But it's your responsibility to find somebody to help you. And clearly this shop you were at, that's not the place. Yeah, definitely not. And there's several others here that I won't mention in the same area. Get the same kind of treatment, same kind there's, of attitude. There's only about four shops around the country that I could recommend that could help you with this. Well, I'm already running their OPS bypass filter and the max mileage fuel-borne catalyst. Excellent. Which I do have a quick question about that. Sure. I just started, I bought the truck and it had 600,000 miles where, uh, and the, the original two owners, they just ran it. Um, is there, is there anything, cause I'm trying to keep this truck for four years or longer if it will go. 
is there anything else I can do to extend the life of the, you know, all that government EPA stuff, including the sensors, other than the fuel-borne catalyst? Is there any more maintenance stuff, anything I should be aware of? I'd so, like to yeah, keep this thing from yeah. breaking down me, let, one of those little minor issues. Yeah, let me give the two most important things you can control and should be looking at that will help you save your emissions. You ready? Okay. Test the charger cooler and set the overhead. Does that sound familiar? Same thing we talked about with fuel economy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When the engine is okay. performing at its optimal, it's easiest on the emissions. When we start getting poor combustion because our overhead's set wrong, we don't have enough boost pressure, then we have less than optimal combustion, more soot, and that's what starts to clog up the, the emissions. So when we have a truck that gets better fuel economy, it will have fewer emissions problems for two big reasons. One that I just mentioned, when it's tuned optimally, you put less soot into the system and it's the soot that kills emissions. But how do we, let's think about this. We're going back to the basics here. How do we create soot? What, what, what causes soot to occur? And it's soot that's going to damage our our emissions. Well, we create soot by burning fuel, right? Yeah. If a truck gets five miles yeah. to the gallon or a truck gets 10 miles to the gallon, the truck getting five miles to the gallon, even if they're both tuned correctly, the truck getting five miles to the gallon is putting twice the soot into the system just based on how much fuel they're burning. Okay, so they're integral then. Uh, exactly. Maximizing uh, fuel economy and reducing Keeping your emissions alive. I guess that makes... Yep. Yeah, I guess that's pretty obvious once you say it out loud. But, okay. but it's shocking well, how 99% of... You're right, it's obvious when we say it out loud and stop and think about it, and yet you never hear this being talked about. Your shop didn't tell you any of this. Oh, nothing. Like, none of them that I've talked to. It's been a lot of banging my head against the yeah. wall this last six months. Yeah, it's frustrating. You need a good shop that you have a relationship with. Okay. Well, I've already got their number, and I, I get their catalyst every month. I guess I better be calling this afternoon. And Excellent. Setting up an appointment here soon. Excellent. Hey, thank you for the help in answering the questions. You're welcome. And I've been a long-time listener. Even when I was even when I was off of the road, I still listened to your show. Well, thank you. I was you. very disappointed when XM gave you the gave you the boot. I think that's ridiculous. But I'm glad that I can listen to you on the app here, and uh, lots of good information. Thank you for all the help all of, over all these years. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for the support. I was disappointed myself when I got canned. Um, I was disappointed for about an hour, then I was angry, and then I was motivated. Um, and now I'm just happy. Let's uh, last call. Let's go to Michigan. Rick, you get the final word today. What's on your mind? Okay. Yeah. The lady that called in and you gave her the advice to sell out of the market. Now, my advice is um, that she should stay in because these, these dips happen all the time. 2006, within two years, the market has all gained it back. In 1987, October, I was in the market. Wait, wait. That was an incorrect statement. They don't always come back. We've had had dips that take a decade to come back. 
Yeah, well, okay. Most people are like, I get this at work when I was at work. The S&P, they're in the market, but they're in the S&P 500. That's what most people are in when they're in those funds because that's the biggest that's fund not, there is. That's not true. And I just looked. That, that's not true either. No? And I'll tell you why. And granted, okay. it, it's going to be my slice of the world. So I'm not talking about overall statistics. I've never gone to look at them. My slice of the world, I yeah. recommend the S&P 500. I think it's the, the single best mutual fund you could be in, has been for decades, and yet 90 plus percent of the portfolios I look at, they're not in the S&P 500 ever. Because if you look at most employer plans, most people that have a 401k have it through their employer. Very few people go out and get their own. The employer plans almost never seem to include an S&P 500 index fund ever because they're into big fees. So they're always managed funds. They're not index funds. They like the big fees. So 90 plus percent of the portfolios I review do not have an investment in the S&P 500. Wow. Well, that's the key. It is, you know, because people ask me this at work, and I said, what stocks do you actually own in those funds is what's the most important. That's well, what's important. Well, wait in a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Hey, hey, Rick, I'm not going to argue that it's not okay. important, but what I will argue is who would you trust to tell you which fund you should be in? I wouldn't trust anyone. <laughs> You got to look for yourself and see what stocks uh, they own. Uh, well, well like wait, the wait, wait a minute. Tell me, tell me which fund I should be in right now. I'd be in the S and P five hundred. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying that's the problem that they're I in that that they should be in some other fund that's better. No, no, oh, no. Oh, okay. Be in the S&P. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But the but the S and P has taken big, big hits over the t- over time and taking years to come back. Yeah, well, yeah but, but but over like 20, 30 years, it, even though it's taken big dips, it's up in general. And, and the top yeah, five well, Right, but she's 60. She can't wait till she's 90 for it to come back? I would say it would be back in like two, three years. Because those are... Those, in the S&P 500, those hey, Rick, are money-printing monopolies. Rick, 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 yeah. are, are you going to okay. go, go out and leverage a couple million dollars and put it in the S&P right now? You should. No, I wouldn't leverage it. But oh, why not? If you, I, try, if you believe yourself, it's coming back in two or three years, you should be out leveraging as much money as you could get your hands on and putting it in the S&P 5. Why wouldn't you? Well, the wife won't let me do that. I, Divorce. I, I tell you what, I would love it. I, I would buy. Tesla. I would buy Tesla. Uh, I, okay, I'd buy Bitcoin. Uh, that, that see to me, that is one of the riskiest mindsets you could ever have. I'm going to buy one company. Well, it, it, the S and P 500 is dominated by a few companies, though. It's not really 500 stock. It's dominated by. It's weighted for the big companies. Right. They 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 make but that's, up and down. But that, they make the but, whole market up and down. Correct. But I do have 500 stocks there to balance things out. 
And, and we don't have to argue about whether that makes sense or not. All we have to do is look historically. Almost nothing beats the S&P 500 year after year after year after year. But at somebody's age, this age, they are not, I mean, I can hear it in her call. She's not an experienced investor. She doesn't understand individual stocks. And I'm not going to try to help her learn them at this age. I'm going to stand by my answer. People at 60 need to be out of the market. Okay. Okay. Well, she's still got 20 to 30 years to live. No, she doesn't. You don't know that. We didn't ask that question. We did not talk about her life expectancy. And I would if I were actually advising somebody. Okay. This isn't a total guess. I can look at people, look at their medical history, look at their current health, look at their um, past histories, and I can tell you whether they're going to live to 80 or 100. And I'm going to be right, right most of the time. Well, here's all we have to do. Why mm-hmm. not just use the averages? She does not have that much That's time just based on the averages. The life expectancy. She just. But here's years. the other thing. Here, here, here's something else we're missing. Let's say you're going to say, well, okay. she would live to be 79. That's going to be a good guess. She's 60. You're right. She's got 20 years left. But what if she needs the money in the next five that's where I go back to right. even well, Dave Ramsey's advice. We'll stay in the market and take some money out of the market. Well, wait a minute. You have to have a big enough nut to begin with. That was kind of my point. That, yes, that philosophy could work mm-hmm. if I have enough money that I can spread it around and risk some. That's not the average person in retirement. The average person in retirement needs every penny they've got. Yeah. Well, yeah, you don't know her financial situation. That's that's the key. So but so I, I just so, think at this Let me let me address this. Some people would say, "Well, Kevin, if you're not going to ask her all those relevant questions, then why would you give her the advice?" And that would be a good question. Um, well, I don't do all of that anymore. I don't do individual personal financial planning, and if I did, that's a $1500 plan. I mean, that's what I would charge somebody to go ask all those questions, to go through all that time, to figure out their risk tolerance and and all those things. So instead, when I'm on the air and I have a limited amount of time, I will be more conservative. I'll give an answer that I absolutely believe in. If you do what I just said, you're going to be fine. I'm confident of that. Is it the absolute optimal way to invest. No, it's not. And I'll go back to Dave Ramsey's advice about credit cards. He will tell people over and over and over and over, do not use a credit card no matter what. And somebody will say, well, you know, look at this reward program. I get three for one and I pay off my credit card. Don't do it. Why not? As a math problem, it works. I could say the same thing about his advice, his, his investment advice. Uh, yeah, as a math problem, it works, but there's a lot of risk here. Right. I understand where you're if, coming if, from. If well, I'm doing individual thing. counseling, individual, and I were talking to her and then I were talking to you, and I have, that's what's happened today. I'd have to, we'd be having two different sure. conversations because without even asking sure. her about her risk tolerance, I have a pretty good idea what it was. I can tell from what she was saying. 
talking to you, your risk tolerance is significantly different from hers. And I haven't asked you any of those questions yet, but I know that. Yeah, correct. Right. So sometimes, sometimes you give people financial advice that will lead them to have less money. And you would say, well, why would you do that? Because I also take into account their risk tolerance. So maybe I get them an extra two or 3% on their return, but they can't sleep at night. They're so nervous. Yeah, I understand. I understand. You know, there, 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 there's a risk, though, to, for, for being in, in things that don't make any money, too. That's true. There's a big risk to that when inflation is rampant. Huge risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we can't, if yeah. if our investments won't keep up with inflation, we get poorer every year. Right. And right now, yeah. you know, at, at 8% inflation, almost everybody is getting poorer right now. They are. Yes, they are. Yeah. You know, I think inflation now is mostly supply side because of all of the supply disruptions. Yes. And the oil price is ridiculous. Yep. Well, it's ridiculous. It, it, you know, the en- energy costs affect every other cost. So when energy costs are high, it's almost impossible it, not to have inflation. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, and, and it's self-induced. It's yes. self-induced in this country. Absolutely. You know. We cut the pipeline. <laughs> of course, the price goes. Now, what else is going to do? Right. Not only did we cut the pipeline, the 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 current president, when he was campaigning, said, "I will eliminate the fossil fuel industry." He said it. He said right. it out loud. I know he did. Why would those companies no. take any kind of risk or invest in anything? They're not going to. Exactly. They're going to raise their prices and try to make yeah. as much money as they can before he eliminates them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. Exactly. It was very self-inflicted. And still is. It was. It's too late. Still is. I mean, it would help if we, we did some positive things, but it's not going to stop the what's coming. Might soften it a little bit, but we're not even going to mm-hmm. do that. I don't think so either. I, I, I agree. That's uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The macro is a disaster ahead, but yeah, you have to you have to make the best of what you can. So absolutely. But I appreciate yeah. always talking. I hey. your show and what you do. You're a very honest guy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Great conversation, by the way. I, I love the other opinions. I really do. Even if I tend to disagree with them sometimes or have a different way, and it's not that they're wrong. This isn't really a right or wrong. It's it's nuanced. It's very nuanced. But there are some things that could work that you won't ever hear me recommend. And a lot of times it's just it's risk tolerance, timing, other things. All right. We are uh, we're going to wrap this up. We will be right back in just a couple of minutes with Rolling Toe. They are standing by. They were going to start at 10. Um, I just decided to keep taking calls. People were patient, so we'll uh, we'll wrap this up. We'll roll right into rolling toe. 
So stick around. You'll be able to redial here in 10 minutes at the latest. So line up your calls for these guys. We'll be right back. And I will see you here tomorrow for trucking technology and efficiency. Um, Joel is a go for tomorrow and John is a maybe. So we'll see. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.